Simple church. So I, I told you a, a couple weeks ago about my kayak. Oh, and I'm so sad that Connor's going to miss this. He would love this. So, you know, I've got this bright blue sun dolphin kayak that looks kind of like a Fisher Price kayak. Well, I, I've upgraded my kayak. It's still the same kayak, but I've done some really cool things to it. I added an anchor. And uh, when you're fishing out of a kayak, uh, without an anchor, it's tough, especially in this part of the, the country, because more often than not, there's a real strong wind. And so you get on the, the water, and you find this spot, and you think, this is a spot that I, I want to fish, and, and you cast, and before you know it, you've drifted 20 yards. And so you put your, pad, your pole down, and you use your paddle to try and reposition yourself, and it's, it's a struggle. And so now with the anchor, I, I drop my anchor, and it allows me to, to stay in one spot. It allows me to put the paddle down, put both hands on the fishing pole, and, and fish. It keeps me from, from drifting. It keeps me on point. And this is what I wish Connor would see. Uh, it allows me to catch bad boys like this. Yes, this whole story was just a shameless way for me to show you the big, the big fish that I caught right here at Cattail Slough. But seriously, uh, this series, Simple Church, has been about finding our anchor as a church, trying to figure out what it is that we are called to do, and then once we find it, just staying on point staying anchored down in what God has called us to do. And we've been using this passage, Acts 2, 42 through 47, which this morning in the church calendar is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and this passage follows on the heels of Pentecost. And so you know the story. The, the disciples are speaking in all these foreign languages, and people are hearing the wonders of God in their own language, and a crowd gathers and and so Peter preaches this first sermon, and there's thousands of people, 3,000 in fact, who hear the, the truth of Jesus Christ, who died, who rose again, and they're cut to the heart. And they say to Peter, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't a 300-gallon tub from Farm and Fleet. This water is not cold compared to probably where, where they were baptized they, they get baptized, and then they, they form the church. And so what we have in this passage is the things that they did, their anchor, what it was that they were, were called to do so that they could figuratively set the paddle down, stop working so hard, and fish, and become fishers of men as Jesus called them to. So the case that we've been making in this series, Simple Church, is that these practices are not contextual. And what I mean by that is, yes, culture has changed so much in the last 2,000 years. We are not the, the same type of community and people that existed 2,000 years ago, and yet the practices that God has called us to to grow as disciples, to help other people grow as disciples, those have not changed. They are timeless. The same things that God asked the church to do 2,000 years ago, he asks us to do today. So would you join me as we pray for the reading of God's word? Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, uh, as your word says, it's alive, it's living, and it's active. 
And Lord, we invite you to speak to us today. Give us ears to hear, give us wills to obey. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot I wanted to take a moment to welcome our friends from Community Reformed Church who are joining us uh, online this morning as well. So we're going to take another pass, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." Let's show Connor the fish that I caught. He just walked in. <laughs> Connor, check this out. Isn't that awesome? All right, back to the sermon. <laughs> so real quickly, in review, so far, this is what we've said about a simple church. These are the anchors. A simple church is spirit-empowered. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got nothing. So, so we work in the power of the Holy Spirit. A simple church is Christ-centered. Apart from Christ, we have no message. We have nothing to offer this world. Spirit-empowered, Christ-centered. Uh, a simple church is devoted to the teaching of God's word. We believe that, that God has given us his word and everything that we need for life and discipleship is contained in his word. And so we're devoted to the word because it leads us to God. We're devoted to fellowship. We're devoted, we've made promises today, and, and part of those promises in the new member was about unity, that we're going to stay in this together with one another. We're going to love and honor one another and support one another. And finally, this morning, we're going to add to that list that we're devoted to prayer. A simple church is devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer and to the breaking of bread. So a couple weeks ago, I was... Um, praying and going through my morning scripture. I've been doing the Bible recap, and the, the passage that was assigned that morning was Psalm 61. And I came to verse 2, and I read this. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is David praying to God, and he writes, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I read that line, and my first thought was, that would be a great lyric for a song. And uh, yesterday, Nate told me someone already wrote the song, so I was a little disappointed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I love that. And I love that because I am so aware that I need a rock that is higher than myself. Friends, we need a rock, something that is higher than ourselves. There are a lot of people who are trying to navigate this life without a rock that is higher than themselves. And maybe it's because they're thinking, you know what? Things are going fairly well. I seem to be managing okay. I'm doing this life thing pretty good, and it is well with my soul. I'm at peace. 
But as you and I both know, life turns on a dime. And the fragility of our life, we can come face to face with that in a second. I've been thinking about it and thinking about living life apart from the rock that is higher than I. And, and honestly, I don't know how people do it. Do you realize how perilous a situation we are in? Think about this for a second. Right now we're in this building, but this building is planted on planet Earth. And planet Earth is spinning a thousand miles an hour right now. Sam, my son, says, I, I want to go to the Audubon someday. Drive 100, 120 miles an hour. I'm like, Sam, that ain't nothing. We are spinning right now a thousand miles an hour. Consider this, not only are we spinning, but we are catapulting through space around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And not one of us is wearing a seatbelt. Like, that's crazy. How, if you do not believe in the rock that is higher than you and there's other things out there flying just as fast, asteroids and meteorites and other planets and all kinds of debris. How do we sleep at night? How do you close your eyes and go to sleep when, when it, just in a second we could have a major collision and everything could be over? Today, if there's time in, in, in the day, I'm going to lay down on the couch and I'm going to fall asleep until like a dog comes and licks me in the face. And it's going to be well with my soul because, because I believe in the rock that is higher than I. I believe that God has got his hands on this planet, but more importantly, he's got his hands on my life. As we just said at baptism, I believe I'm in his grip. And I believe that you, through Christ, you are in his grip. You are in his orbit. And he's all-powerful. And so we can trust in the rock that is higher than I. So I want you to go back and now think about King David. Because David was in a position more than any of us to actually have a, a large measure of power and control. He could utter a command and things would be done. So here's a man with, he's the king. He's got all kinds of power and all kinds of authority and control. And yet he writes this. In Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, who's not going to let your foot slip. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He keeps watch over all of us. And then he writes this in Psalm 61. Lead me, Lord, to the rock that is higher than I. So even David, for all of his flaws and all of his weaknesses, he recognized that even he as the king needed something greater than himself, needed God. Karen and I went to college at uh, Ohio University. And uh, Ohio University is located in Athens, Ohio. It's in southeast Ohio in the, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. It's beautiful country. Uh, while there in Athens, one of my favorite places to go was a state park called Stroud's Run. Stroud's Run was about, I don't know, five, ten miles removed from campus, and it was a beautiful park. There's a, 
a nice lake there and, and hiking trails and this beautiful lush forest. Well, there's this one spot in the forest where it's a, a canyon and, and up at the top of the canyon is a, a rock, this mossy rock that leans out over the canyon looking down. This is not a picture of that, it's just a real cool picture. Uh, but it's, imagine, it's like that. And so occasionally when I would go to Stroud's, Rock, uh, Stroud's Run, I'd be in the canyon and I'd climb up the canyon and I'd perch myself on the edge of that rock and then look down at the canyon below and there, everything from that vantage point, everything just seemed to slow down. There was a, a calm that would come over me, whatever was stressing me out, you know, Karen breaking up with me yet again. Uh, life would, would just kind of settle down there at Stroud's Run, perched on the edge of that rock. We have a rock that is higher than I. And, and when we cling to the rock that is higher than I, life slows down for us. We gain perspective. Things become clear. Devote yourselves to prayer. The early church was devoted to prayer. We get to pray to the Almighty God. I know when we come to this subject of prayer, for many of us, it instantly just triggers some, some guilt feelings. Like prayer is the thing that we all know that we should do more. And yet, when we admit it, we don't do it nearly enough. Or maybe prayer is that thing that, you know, you force yourself to do it, but if you're honest, it feels pretty empty. Like you're sitting there just saying words in this empty room, and, and your mind, you know, you can focus for about 10 seconds, and then you're off in 20 different directions in your mind. Or maybe you might just even acknowledge, you know what, prayer is that one thing in my, my walk as a Christian that I just don't do. I, I don't do it. So I'm aware that prayer triggers some of those responses for us. For me, this has been a challenge. Even as a pastor, you think, oh, boy, pastor, he prays all the time. It's a struggle. Prayer does not come easy. And so we want to think about it. One of the things that I've, I've found that helps is just thinking about prayer a little bit differently. Instead of thinking about it as that thing that I have to do to be a good Christian, Trying to reframe it, thinking about it's the thing that I get to do. Not, not have to do because I'm going to be judged or, you know, I've got to check off the box. It's this thing I get to do. I get to, to, to have a relationship with God, and, and he actually listens. Think about Jesus. The disciples prayed because they had lived with Jesus for three years. And they had watched Jesus. And you know what Jesus did all the time? He prayed all the time. There was one occasion where he had to select some disciples. He had to select the 12. And the scripture says that he stayed up all night long praying that God would help him discern who to select there was another occasion, we read about it in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus had been healing people all day long, and, and night came, and they went to bed, and, and then morning came, and word had spread, and so people had come from far and wide to, to see Jesus and to hopefully be healed. But the scripture says very early in the morning, 
while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And the disciples came and found him and said, what are you doing? There's so many people and they've come to, to be healed by you. And what Jesus didn't do was say, oh, you're right. I've got to stop this praying thing and go do the real work. Go do the healing. He understood that the real work was the praying. In fact, he actually told them, you know what? God is telling me it's time to move on. It's time to go to another place. Or think about the time that Jesus had 5,000 people in front of them. And they're hungry. And there's only a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And so he lifts his eyes to heaven and he prays. And God multiplies the fish and, and the loaves. And, and he serves all of the people. And there's baskets full of food afterwards. This is the pattern in his life. He prays over and over again. On one occasion, he's praying, and the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is where he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. But right before that, I, and i got to find this so I don't mess it up. Um, right before that, in, in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I mean, there's nothing spectacular about that sentence. What that means is that this is his pattern. He does this all the time. Jesus was praying in a certain place just another day in the life of Jesus. Think about King David. Here's a, a, a man who's got so much power. You think, why would David pray? Well, he recognized, I need a rock that is higher than I. Jesus did the same thing. I mean, if ever there was someone who was self-sufficient, who had no need to pray, it was Jesus. And yet the pattern of his life, we might say it under the motto, this was his motto, pray first. I mean, it's all throughout his life, pray first. Jesus prayed. And so it's no mistake that when we turn to Acts chapter 1, Jesus has now ascended. What do we see the disciples doing? We see them praying. And so remember, he ascended, and they came back to the upper room, and they're, they're all together. Uh, verse 13, Acts chapter 1, it says this, When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is what the disciples are doing. This is the downtime. Remember, Jesus said, stay, don't go anywhere, wait for the gift I'm going to give you. And so while they're waiting, what do they do? They pray. And then they recognize, you know what, there's only 11 of us. Judas Iscariot kind of, you know, he went off and did his thing. We need to replace Judas and so they proposed two people. They proposed Matthias and Justice. And they didn't just select one. They said, no, let's pray. And so we read again in Acts chapter 1. They pray, Lord, show us who it is that, that you've selected for this time. And they choose Matthias. There's one more occasion where Jesus prayed that I, I want to highlight. Uh, in your Bibles, it goes under the heading of the Transfiguration. So Jesus is going up on a mountainside, and he decides to take a few of his disciples with him. He takes James, and he takes uh, Peter, and he takes John, and they go up this mountainside. 
And, and as he begins to pray, he's transfigured in their presence. He becomes just blindingly white. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appear and they're talking with Jesus. And then the disciples hear a voice from heaven. God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And the disciples are so overwhelmed by the sight, by what they see, that they fall down terrified. So I want to leave the mountain, and I want to go to your house. Where is the place that you pray? Maybe you have a comfy chair, and you've got that cup of coffee next to you, and it's your pattern to maybe pray in the morning, or maybe it's even your bed uh, when you lay down at night before you fall asleep, you, you say a prayer. So, so go to that spot with me. Because in that spot, what we often think is happening is, frankly, nothing. Like, I, I'm here, and, and I'm praying, and my mind's going in a million different directions, and, and you know, I wonder why I even do it, and, and maybe I don't do it. If God removed the veil, like he did on that mountain for... James and John and Peter, and he allowed you to see what is actually happening when you pray in your comfy chair with your coffee, friends, we would be down on our faces. Because what is happening is you are actually entering into the throne room with your prayer. You are rising up, you are going into the throne room, and you know what we would see if God removed the veil? We'd see Jesus Christ seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. And we would pray to him, and the most amazing thing is that he would be listening. God the Father, Jesus the Son, looking at us, listening to our prayer, saying, tell me, tell me more. And we might hear his voice responding to us, saying something to us, and then consider this. If we prayed for something, pray for my friend who, who doesn't know Jesus, and Lord, would you work in their life? You know what we might see? We might see God turn to an angel and give them an order, give them an assignment, and see that angel descend the ladder from heaven down to this earth to go to work in response to our prayer. Friends, if God removed the veil, we would be praying all the time. We would be a praying church. I'm embarrassed when I think about how little I pray. And, and I so desire for us as a church that prayer, that we truly would be devoted to prayer, that this would not be an ancillary thing, something that, that we just do before the, the real work, that we would recognize this is the real work. Coming before God, bringing everything to God, because we said we are empowered through the Holy Spirit. We don't have it in us. The tragic thing is that we could do church in a way that is really void of God. There's a way you can do church where, you know, whether God shows up or doesn't, doesn't really matter. We're not dependent on him. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to do that church that way. Think about it this way. When you pray, God goes to work. Why don't you pray? Why don't I pray? I think there's a couple reasons, and one of them might be because uh, we've got this theology that says God is sovereign, 
God's in control. In fact, all the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them has even come to pass. And so we take that and we jump to, jump to the conclusion, if God has scripted everything out, everything's already preordained, why pray? It's a pretty good question. But the thing that we fail to consider is that part of what God has scripted out is that he's going to respond to the prayers of his people. God has sovereignly said, you know what, I'm in charge, and one of the things I'm going to do as the, the king who's in charge is I'm going to listen to my people, and I'm going to be responsive to their prayers. And so think about this. What events a year from today, a week from today, a hundred years from today are going to happen because of prayers that are offered today. A prayer today creates a ripple. And, and we're a church that's 104 years old, 105 years old. There were prayers that were offered 105 years ago that God's still answering today. Think about Jesus praying, praying for us, for the believers, that they would be one, that they'd be unified. That is a prayer that ripples today. So what prayers today might we offer that God is going to just send a shockwave into the future? It's an incredible opportunity we have. Join me as we pray. Father God, um, it is such a privilege to be able to come into your throne room you have the, opened the door to us through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, like the uh, original disciples, uh, we have the, the same request that you would teach us how to pray. Lord, I pray that we would be praying disciples. I pray that we would be a praying church. Lord, uh, even today, might every one of us, uh, each of us, just think in our minds of a next step for us. Maybe we're not praying in that comfy chair, and, and we need to start. So, Lord, I, I pray that uh, we all might commit to that, that next step. Uh, Lord, and, and we pray that you would meet with us. We thank you that you do. Reveal yourself to us. Reveal yourself to this church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.